news this week. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. We're used to hearing about our personal data being used to target us for advertising, but there are actually plenty of other uses, such as making healthcare services easier to access and use. Niall Kitson spoke with Dr. Derek Mitchell, CEO of the Irish Platform for Patient Organisation Science and Industry, to talk about how the information that we give about ourselves can be used to create services tailored to our individual needs. When we look at data, at the moment we're very familiar with the Google version or the Facebook version where things are harvested uh, seemingly at random towards commercial end. From your perspective, what does patient data entail? Patient data is any information that is medical or health-related that is uh, related to an individual patient. So examples of that would be what information is in your GP's uh, medical record that's in the GP clinic that uh, patients attend. It could be the medical record that is uh, in a hospital that you attended, uh, either as an outpatient or as an inpatient. Um, so there's, there's different types of patient data. The, the data that gets people, I think, most interested is the, the data that patients maybe are uh, contributing to without their knowledge. Um, so very often you find that, certainly from what we've found out, is that patients are very surprised when their data is not shared um, for the purposes of either their individual healthcare uh, between healthcare professionals, or indeed to improve the healthcare system uh, that's designed to improve the health outcomes of patients themselves. And then, when you get into the realm of how patient data can be used for purposes that maybe are outside of those, uh, for maybe uh, for research purposes, or or maybe even for health innovation, which. In, in, in my mind at least, involves private entities and companies gaining access to high-level data that's de-identified, that's, that's not attributable to individual patients, um, that patients have consented to, um, and to use it to drive health innovation within the Irish and the international health system. When we're talking about health innovation, on the one hand, you're talking about products, uh, which is fine, uh, particularly pharmaceuticals, uh, I think would be very interesting in terms of mapping drug interactions, for example. But also, uh, domestically, we're looking at the development of services. So what projects have really impressed you in terms of putting the patient at the centre of developing a service? So there's two that come immediately to mind in the Irish context. One is in the area of hemophilia. So uh, hemophilia patients in Ireland through the Irish Hemophilia Society uh, have been involved in the development and the implementation of a, a national patient record. And that record is able to identify every hemophilia patient in the country. It's also uh, able to monitor blood products which hemophilia patients depend on uh, in terms of their, their quality, uh, their quantity, but also the, the administration of those blood products. So the patients have been involved uh, in the setup of that process of 
blood products being delivered to patients themselves, being stored in their homes, and also being self-administered by patients. Uh, and what they've done is that through uh, over, over about 10 years or so, that through the patient involvement in that process, they've actually been shown that the price of those products has actually been reduced as a result of the patients being involved in the tendering process around those, whereby those products become available to patients. So that's an example of an electronic solution that is barcode related, but also has patient preferences in terms of which product that they find to be most beneficial for them. And there is a process to uh, harness that patient viewpoint as part of the, the, the tendering process. So that's a very very good example in Ireland. The other example that comes to mind is in the area of epilepsy. And there is an epilepsy patient record that has been developed by clinicians and healthcare professionals, but also uh, through the Epilepsy Association, the patient organization in Ireland. Um, so they recognized that epilepsy patients have to access healthcare settings in different buildings, but very often those buildings don't have a way of communicating uh, the identity of that patient as they access different services. So they created, uh, it was led through a group in uh, Beaumont Hospital, and it led to the development of an electronic patient record for epilepsy patients. And they've been doing a lot of work in terms of how patients can gain access to their information that's part of that record and can start using that information for maybe for purposes that were never really originally imagined. So they're learning all the time about how patient preferences can be incorporated uh, into not only what kinds of information that patients have access to, but also what kind of uses that potentially could be looked at uh, with the patient in control of that. One of the challenges I'm sure healthcare professionals have is what complexity of data do you show to the patient before it starts going over their head? I'm sure there's some sort of medical arrogance built in there that, you know, here are the highlights, this is as much as you need to know. Do you think, or have you found there was an appetite for patients to as much detail as possible about their condition and their medical history as possible? Or, you know, from a kind of a user experience or user interface design, were people happier with just the highlights with as little on the page as possible? I think it's important to emphasize that the key aspect of providing patients with access to their data that, that they, they have a right to access to uh, is that the relationship with their healthcare professional is the one that, that certainly the patients that we've uh, come into contact with, uh, that they want to preserve. That um, in terms of providing them with greater access via electronic means, that that really is to do a number of things, one of which is to improve the relationship that they have with their healthcare professional. So if their healthcare professional has certain concerns about granting access uh, to particular types of information that they may feel um, may sensitize the individuals, that may, they may feel that uh, is primarily confidential, um, that they feel that 
should, should not be used for, for certain types of, of uses, then I think that those attitudes do need to be talked about in, with respect to individual patients because what we find is that internationally there is a movement towards granting full access uh, to medical records for patients so that they can uh, have that right to access all of the information that's there about them, uh, sometimes without them. Um, so the, the idea being that an, a more empowered patient, a more informed, uh, a more educated patient that has access to greater amounts of data leading to greater knowledge about their own condition, that that can improve the relationship that they have with their healthcare clin uh, uh, clinician or, or professional. The other aspect then about granting full access uh, to healthcare records uh, for data on the healthcare professional side is uh, access to clinical notes and this seems to be uh, a real hesitancy from the clinical community that by granting patients access to their clinical notes that it will somehow depower the, their own relationship um, and that they would have concerns that what, what I would say to that would be that anything that's in, in, a, in, a, in a clinical note about a patient should be relevant for that patient, um, and patients have a right to access that, that information. So if there is hesitancy on the healthcare professional's part, really I, I would question what the, what the reasons are for that hesitancy and if those reasons are, are on the basis of the quality of the data or, or quality of the information that, that's in there rather than the, the relevance of, of the data then I would say that patients should be gr granted access to that uh, information. We've talked about sort of long-term conditions about hemophilia and, and epilepsy, but of course one of the great advantages to having uni a unified healthcare record is sort of portability between institutions, but also you know the ability to log, you know, X had a broken arm on this date. However, there would be the concern that it makes no difference for a hospital to log a broken bone than it would to have a detailed clinical history. So how do you deal with patients' concerns over, okay, yeah, this happened to me over here, but it's nothing to do with me over here. How do you say, look, okay, we introduced a tiered access system, or you know, look, nobody's interested in this other stuff because it has no relation to your treatment for this other condition? I think what the, there are a number of things emerging in terms of practices internationally around the use of patient portals and who tends to use them and for what purposes. And these are electronic means whereby patients can access their uh, patient data. And what they're finding is that invariably it's something hovering in the region of 30% of patients tend to use the portals on a regular basis. Uh, and that the other 70% uh, seem to have a, uh, either a reluctance to, to use the portal. That could be down to the functionality or the technical aspect of it. But in the main, trust their healthcare professional to look after their record as, under the, the, as they are regulated to uh, and that, that they have a duty to. Um, for the 30% who end up using existing patient portals, uh, they use it for uh, a number of different uh, 
purposes, um, some of which might have been imagined as part of the design of the portal, some of which can lead to redesign of that portal so that you could introduce these layered and tiered levels of, of consent. Um, there are a number of initiatives in, in a couple of countries that have managed to introduce this, but I don't think we've seen the true impact of that, be it either positive from a patient perspective, whereby you have greater control uh, over granting access to different types of information, uh, but also from a healthcare professional's uh, point of view, whereby if you wish or if you have a need to what they call break break the glass uh, and access data that is of direct relevance to a patient in a certain context, for instance in an emergency setting, that you have that ability to be able to do that as a healthcare professional. Um, so there's, there's a lot to be thought about in that context. I think that there are I, I guess fundamental differences between patient communities and healthcare professionals in terms of what's appropriate in what circumstance or what setting. But I think that what we need is we need efforts to increase dialogue between those communities so that we can really flesh out what, particularly in Ireland, we feel is an appropriate consent model to follow for the different uses. So I'll give you an example. We we have a, a legislation that has come through in Ireland in respect to health research and the use of patient data for health research. And that has come from the GDPR uh, EU regulation. And, and what that has done is that has, uh, that has insisted that explicit consent, so that is con informed consent that is specifically recorded and written down, as opposed to informed consent whereby uh, it, there's uh, some ambiguity as to just how informed current consent processes are with respect to the, the sheer amount of information that has to be in, interpreted by patients. So explicit consent is a far greater level of consent that has to be used for research purposes. So that has come in in Ireland and it has caused some difficulty among the research community uh, with respect to their own ability to re-consent. So when you get into the, the layers whereby consent can be tiered or, or, or done for, for different pur purposes, you need to actually come up with a consent model and you need to inform that model with public and patient perspectives about what's appropriate to share and in what circumstances. Which uh, I imagine is a very different uh, and difficult conversation to have when there's different levels of passion, I, I suppose, between stakeholders. If you ask somebody in the street who has no long-term conditions or, or no, no medical issues, I'm sure they would say, yeah, sure, throw, throw up what you have. If you have somebody with a long-term condition that inevitably they're going to be quite sensitive about, it's going to be a very different conversation. Oh, completely. And uh, from an IPOSI perspective, our, our, our mandate is, is, is for patients with chronic uh, and lifelong and often debilitating uh, conditions who are often uh, left out of decision making uh, in our opinion, particularly in, in, in the rare conditions. Um, so what we would be advocates for would be 
to develop mechanisms whereby the representatives of rare diseases, of the, the lesser heard voices, of the patients who invariably are left out, um, for a mechanism so that they can be those those voices can be harnessed, but also that those voices can be uh, influential in the development of policies that are often developed uh, on behalf of patients, but without their input. For from the perspective of the more public uh, citizen. Um, perspective, which is something we're increasingly hearing in the healthcare sphere, uh, certainly in the, since the advent of, of Sláinte Care, which, which it's, its emphasis on uh, citizen empowerment and, and person-centred care, um, that's, that's uh, we would feel, uh, to be a, a different mechanism. You need a different mechanism to do that. So, um, And there are certainly great examples in the last few years in Ireland from the idea of the Citizens' Assembly. Um, there are citizen juries. There are citizen engagement uh, processes uh, and initiatives that are bubbling up here that really have put Ireland on the map internationally for how you can engage your more broader public uh, in conversations around health, healthcare, and the responsibilities, the personal responsibilities that come as part of this decision-making that's going to be increasingly part of our lives. At the top of this conversation, we touched on the, the problem, if you will, of innovation. You've got the public sector, the private sector, which have you know, their, their own quirks, but you also have Europe and America, which is a much more complicated relationship. So do you see the focus of innovation moving from quite a restrictive uh, data uh, regime to a much more liberal one in the US? Oh, God, I don't know if I can actually answer that question, honestly. Um, I think that from what we've seen um, both in the US and, and even here in Ireland from the point of view of health information and how it's used, but also how it's collected, stored uh, and safeguarded is, um, I think, is, is an international phenomenon where you have now got the, the kinds of technologies, the kinds of um, artificial intelligence that can do things with data that I don't think from a regulatory perspective we have any idea what their limits are currently. Um, and if you were to apply the same kind of maybe uh, deregulated uh, Situation where, from a technology perspective, certainly in the US, you, there's a, a situation now where you have a, a handful of companies who've become so large and so, uh, so widespread um, that I, I, I think that you're going to probably need to see uh, increased regulation because monopolies and companies of that size are never good, uh, in, in my humble opinion, for in innovation. They actually inhibit innovation. Um, so in Ireland, we have a lot of tech companies. We have a lot of pharmaceutical companies. We have a lot of medical device companies. Um, and they are increasingly uh, performing research in Ireland. Um, there are a number of 
patient organisations who are funding uh, research, uh, who are interested in collaborating with those co- companies. There are a number of researchers uh, and there are public policies designed to encourage greater collaboration between the research community and uh, private sector. So what we really need in Ireland is we need that dialogue between patients, science and industry to determine how innovation can foster in Ireland, how research can be performed that will uh, lead to evidence that will influence policy, but also how Ireland can be seen internationally uh, in terms of harnessing, I think, our, our key strengths. And some of the key strengths we have as a nation are around, well, internationally, we're good communicators. I think that SciCom as a as a as a as a conference exists because we have brilliant communicators we have brilliant science scientists and together that combination what from an IPOSI perspective with patient advocates and patient communities can be really really good drivers of innovative thinking and creative thinking So by harnessing that in the first instance, you can then create ways of interacting with industry so that either research that's focused on what patients or or indeed the public want to see conducted can be actually funded, Uh, that you can have policies that are developed with the preferences of the Irish citizen and, and, uh, and Irish patients that can be put into place that reflect what people actually want to see happen from a health innovation perspective. Um, and then can also drive, I think, an indigenous Irish industry in terms of our inherent capability of being innovative. That's small to medium enterprises looking at these global phenomena where you've got healthcare and you've got technology, and they're not exactly married uh, just yet, but that there's ways in which we can develop an indigenous industry uh, in the whole healthcare tech space, because in my mind, in the next 10 years, there's going to be huge opportunities uh, if we create the right policies and the right structures to, to encourage and foster that. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Dr. Derek Mitchell, CEO of the Irish Platform for Patient Organisations, Science and Industry, speaking at the SciCom event in Dublin earlier this month. That is it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or, of course, listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Uh, We're back again next week with our last show of the year, last show of the decade. We'll be looking back at the stories that made 2019. Until then, from myself to students and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central.